Jesus' name, amen. Can we just rejoice one more time? Give it up for these guys. Thank you so much. You can go back to your tables. Awesome. We celebrate partnership because it's a sign of spiritual growth. And I think it's a foreshadowing of numerical growth. Anybody hear me? It's a foreshadowing of numerical growth because here's the role of a pastor. The Bible says the pastor equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. In other words, the pastor equips you and you grow the church. Now that might sound like a big responsibility and it is, but you are the ones that will grow the church. I'm telling you, I feel like I'm, I'm decent as a preacher, but I'm not going to attract the masses here on my sermons alone. I'm just telling you, I'm humble enough to admit that. But this church will grow as you guys are unleashed upon the world and God calls you into the harvest. And so I'm so excited to see what God does in our church as we are inspired to step into all that he has called you to do. In the fitness industry, uh, there's a, a popular tactic used called before and after photos. And the idea is that you see what somebody looked like before the workout and diet plan, and then you see how they look after. And here's an example. I've got one. If you guys can put it up on the screen. You guys remember the show, The Biggest Loser? Uh, my wife used to watch this with me religiously, and it was like the, we were just totally glued to it. And what's amazing is you can see the transformation, the, the before, the after, and the now. But what's crazy is that if you were to see, uh, what happens is when you see this and you see how far they've come from, you, what it does is it inspires you to believe that it can work for you as well, right? And so we can look at a picture and say, hey, that looks like me. That person or that woman has a similar body type as me. And so if they can do it, then perhaps so can I. And what's interesting about this is there are much more qualified fitness specialists that can educate these people on fitness and diet and nutrition. However, it's the everyday average person's transformation that inspires them to believe, to take action. So you can't look at somebody's current picture and understand where they've come from. If all we had was the middle photo right there, we would make a judgment about that man and we would say, he's fit. He's got his stuff together. Life must be easier for him. He doesn't struggle like I do with um, eating my feelings. He doesn't struggle like I do with needing chocolate to, to uh, take away my headaches, right? Or whatever it may be. Um, but if we saw where he came from, we'd say, oh, wow. In fact, he really struggled to get to where he is today. See, by sharing our story, we reveal our before picture. And we inspire others to place their trust in Jesus. And when they hear our story, they'll say to themselves, if God did it for them, he can do it for me. And you know what's interesting about this is, first of all, have you ever seen the before and after photos of P90X and been jealous of the before photo? 
Serious, watch those commercials. Like you see some of those people, you're like, I'd like to look the way they looked before they began that workout, right? And so a lot of times I heard this comedian say one time that he foolishly stepped into P90X because he was like, I'm totally out of shape. I've never worked out in my life. How about I try what the Navy SEALs do, right? And he talked about how brutal it was and how it only lasted for a couple of days. Um, but you know what? The, it's, this guy, it's easy to see where he came from, right? But how many of you know someone who's been thinner, but they weren't healthy? And, and because of their diet, they weren't healthy, right? Maybe they had a lot of digestive issues, some stomach issues. Maybe they've got IBS and they continue to eat stuff that's going to upset their stomachs. I'm preaching to myself here because I've been there and I've done that. I'm, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me, um, <laughs> right? And so someone can't just look at me and say, he's got an eating problem. Because what's happening is on the inside. And sometimes our story is not so obvious and our story doesn't have to look like somebody else's. But there's somebody who needs to hear our perspective and understand where we came from, even if it's not as glorious as being able to see the change as if there was 150 pounds that just dropped off your body. But no matter where you came from or where you started, the truth is you were never uh, any less far away from Jesus than the person who was rescued out of alcoholism and drug addiction or prostitution or homosexuality or whatever it is, you were just as lost and it took the death of the son of God to bring you to Jesus. And somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to hear what Jesus did in your life. Whether you feel like it's glorious or not, someone needs to hear your story. So if you, you don't have to be a seminary trained preacher to have a profound impact, you just have to be willing to share your story. So before we go any further, I thought to myself today, let's take some time to practice this in a safe place at your tables. And so I've got three questions to prompt you because I want to acknowledge, and in fact, I hope that there's at least one or two people here who have not began their journey with Jesus yet. And so there's three ways you can look at this. If you're a Christian, first question is this, how did you come to faith in Jesus? Or maybe you wanna talk about what has Jesus done in your life recently? Sometimes it's not that complicated, right? It's, it's not like, how do I get my whole life story in here? But it's, what did God teach me in a very powerful way this week or last month? And then thirdly, where are you now in your spiritual journey? And so you might be someone who's like, hey, I'm here because I'm curious, but I'm not sure I'm a Christian right now. That's okay. We want to hear your story too, because even your story can have an impact. So do you understand what I'm asking you to do here? Not answer all three questions, but choose one that you want to use as your prompt to be a part of your story. Okay, so let's go ahead and put the countdown on the, oh, oh you got to start that over. You're ripping them off, guys. <laughs> All right, so let's start that over and let's, let's begin. All right, so... I'm sure not everyone at your table had a chance to share 
and I'm sorry, but hopefully you guys were really encouraged uh, by what you hear. Now, how many of you, with just a show of hands, what you shared at your table today, you could least envision yourself sharing with somebody who's not a Christian? Okay? Now, how many of you be really honest and say, I was okay sharing it here. I'm petrified of sharing it with somebody who's not a Christian. Anybody? Okay, a couple people, a couple honest people, all right? And I say a couple of honest people because in reality, if those were the true reflective numbers, we'd probably have a lot more people sharing their faith on a regular basis, okay? I'm just going to let that hang there for a little bit. No offense. Um, <laughs> we need to share our story. Uh, we had a, a powerful time in, in a pre-gathering prayer this morning. Quick plug for that. We gather here at 8.30 while the worship team is practicing, and we, we just pace the floor. We just pray for God to, to do his will and have his way among us. We lay hands on all the chairs. Every one of you is sitting on a chair that somebody like Miss Doris has prayed over because we believe that prayer changes things. And God is going to move in your life because you were prayed over this morning. Secondly, at 9 o'clock, we move into the prayer closet, and we come together for corporate prayer. That means when we gather in the same spot, and we pray out loud, and we take turns leading out. And we believe that makes a major difference. And often in those times, there's things that God reveals to us. He speaks to us during that time. And um, Autumn was sharing this a vision that she had of a python wrapping himself around the entire church, the entire body of Christ, trying to choke them out and silence them. And as soon as she said that, it just opened up my eyes and brought me back to uh, youth camp. And I mentioned briefly last week that we had a student that um, was suffering demonic affliction. And he began to manifest some, some demons. And so this was the first time that I um, led that deliverance ministry. I've been there before. I've been present before and watched somebody else do it. And um, I believe God wanted to do something important in me to let me see this through to the end and see the victory for this young man um, so that I could step out in further authority and confidence in that. And one, at one moment, we were praying with this student, and we realized that there were things that he was holding on to that he needed to repent of. And we're trying to lead him in a prayer, and we asked him to speak the name of Jesus. And it came out, could not say the name of Jesus. And finally, it got to the point where his throat began to tighten, and for a moment, he stopped breathing, and he was choking. And this spirit, and I'm not trying to freak you guys out. Honestly, this is something that was incredibly normal. Um, and if you read the New Testament, everywhere Jesus went, it says he healed the sick and cast out demons. And it was nothing to be freaked out about. And what was amazing about this is I was never scared. The entire time, the peace of God was completely in control. But this poor young man was being choked out. He could not say the name of Jesus. And so, uh, you know, we began to step in, take authority over that uh, demon and command him to open up his mouth. Finally, this boy was able to speak the name of Jesus. And it was a long process, but I can't tell you the whole story. But because he was able to confess Jesus and to repent of things, he was completely delivered and set free from these uh, demons that were uh, controlling and, and tormenting him. And so what's, what, what was revealed to me in that moment is that this evil spirit was so terrified 
at the name of Jesus that he wanted to do everything he could to silence this boy just to keep him from speaking it out loud. And you got to understand, see, I'm not saying you guys are demon-possessed, <laughs> but you got to understand that this is a spiritual world and the enemy is strategically trying to silence every single one of us. And if that's the case, we need to understand the power that we have that just simply in speaking the name of Jesus and sharing the hope of Jesus with someone, we have the ability to set the captives free. We have the ability to take over authority over situations, to tear down strongholds. We have the ability to share the hope of Jesus to someone that could save them and rescue them from the flames of hell. And it doesn't matter if we're nervous about it. If this young man can overcome demonic affliction and speak Jesus over his life, then you can overcome your fears and your insecurities, your, your concern about feeling embarrassed or how the person will receive it. And I'm telling you right now, church, that if you will step out of this and come out of your comfort zone and begin to speak the name of Jesus, we're going to see an explosion in this church. Not only an explosion, an explosion in growth, but a move of the spirit like we've never seen before. And so today, I want to challenge you with five ways that you can make sharing your story a rhythm. We're going to start with the word of God. I want you to stand with me if you would. And if you've got your Bible or your phone with your Bible app, you can hold that up. We're going to make a statement of faith about the word of God this morning. And so let's put that up on the screen and we're going to read it together on the count of three. One, two, three. This is my Bible. It is God's word. When I read it and live it, I will become everything it says that I am. Now go ahead and remain standing and we're going to turn to the book of John chapter four. That's right, Jeff. Three times. We're going to be in John chapter 4. Uh, can we just give Jeff a thanks for his amazing word he shared with us? And we're going back to John chapter 4. We, I spent some time in the earlier part of the chapter. Uh, Jeff, the professor, covered about 42 verses, right? And so today we're going to spend some time just in the latter half of those 42 verses, starting in verse 28. In verse 28. Uh, did I give you 29 only? I was wondering about that. Um, if you could pull up 28 quickly as well. I know Suzette is awesome and on the ball and she can work magic like that. Let's give a hand to Suzette for being the... Do you know, that, you know what her nickname is? She's the media queen. The media queen, right? Because she makes it all happen. She makes it all work. So we're going to start in verse... 28. See, see how I, I put 28 up there, but I only copied and pasted 29. What, what? Give them something to work with, Pastor Joe. All right, so verse 28. It's coming really soon, really soon. Show me verse 28. What is that, like family feud, right? It's coming. It's coming. All right, I might read without it. You guys have your Bibles, right? Okay, if you got your Bibles, follow along with me. I'm going to go ahead and start. Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from, village, from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. 
Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up. Somebody say, wake up. And look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. And others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Father, illuminate your scriptures to us today. Give us understanding, challenge our hearts, and maybe respond appropriately to the Holy Spirit's conviction. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Sorry, Suzette, to spring that on you that way. Five ways to make sharing your story a rhythm. This series we've been in has been called Rhythm because we've talked about how every living thing has a rhythm of growth going on. And without one of those rhythms, what happens is the growth is stunted or completely stops. And if you're not growing, you're what? Anybody remember? Say it. Dying. If you're not growing, you're dying. Eventually, if you stop growing, then that means you are dying. And so we have to keep these rhythms spinning in our life like a wheel so that we continue in the momentum that God has called us to live in. And so I want to point us back to verse 28, which says that the woman left her water jar and ran. Number one, if you want to make sharing your story a rhythm, you need to have some urgency. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, have some urgency. She left with urgency, and we see that because she left her water bottle behind, and she ran. She didn't walk, but she ran to go tell everyone. And so what happened is she prioritized the sharing of the gospel, Go figure, huh? There's a novel concept. She prioritized sharing the gospel in her life to the point where she delayed a daily necessity for life. Water, something that would take her a long time to do in the heat of the sun. She left it right there because there was nothing more important in that moment than to share what God had done in her life with as many people as would listen. Church, when's the last time we prioritized the Great Commission in that way? So often we respond to the Great Commission as if it's the Great Suggestion. We respond to the Great Commission in, I will do it when I have time. I will do it when the time and the moment is right. I will do it when it doesn't cost me too much. I'll do it when I feel like I know exactly what to say and how to approach the subject. I'll do it when it works out. But what does it say in verse 28? It says that she ran and it says she told everyone. 
Who did she tell, church? Number two, cast a wide net. Cast a wide net. She told anyone that would listen, and I just want to tell you, church, I have been caught in this trap that sometimes we remain stuck and we remain silent because we complicate evangelism. We get so focused on the right person, the right time, the right place, the right situation, and we never end up telling anyone. We're waiting till it doesn't feel awkward. We're waiting till we know exactly what we're going to say. And because the words don't come, we don't step into it. You may not have the opportunity to always share your full story, right? At our tables today, that's why we presented that second question. What has God done for you lately? Sometimes it's just testifying a powerful truth that God revealed to you or something that he did in your life, an answer to your prayer and sharing that with both those who believe and those that don't believe. You can give them what you have. You know, a lot of the disciples or some of the disciples that Jesus called were fishermen. And did you know that none of them fished with a a line and a hook? As far as we know, they fished with nets. That's what we read about in the scriptures, right? They fished with nets. Why did they fish with nets? Huh? Get a bigger load, a bigger catch, right? There was a lot of fish to be caught. They weren't just fishing for their meal that evening. They were fishing for their livelihood. And they understood that there was a lot of fish in that lake to be caught. And the only way to capitalize that harvest was to cast a wide net. So if the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, as Jesus said, we must pray for the workers, but we also need to cast a wide net. So what does that mean? I want to give you four very basic practical ways that you can cast a wide net, okay? So I hope you're taking notes today. Write these down. Number one, give a hand. In other words, let me give you a hand with that. Uh, let me get that door for you. Let me help you clean up that mess that you just made. And it's often how, in, in those moments where just a kind gesture can open up an opportunity for great conversation, meaningful conversation. And even if it doesn't lead to that, or even if you try to approach it and it gets shut down, what has happened is you've planted a seed. And what did we just read earlier? What joy comes for those who both plant and harvest alike. Amen? And so there's significance in the seed that is planted. Number two, offer a blessing. A blessing. We can't underestimate this. Words are powerful, amen? Didn't we spend some time talking about that? How in creation, God spoke everything into existence. Let there be light and there was light. And the same breath that spoke creation to existence was breathed into your lungs. And so our words are significant. You're doing a fantastic job. Can mean all the difference in the world. You have such a kind spirit. You're such a great leader. I can tell your employees really respect you. You run a tight ship here. Uh, Your employees are so friendly. The customer service is amazing. I just want to thank you for being such a great and inspiring leader to your employees. Or it's obvious that God has his hand on your life. I can see uh, the giftings that he's given you for leadership. Thank you for being so helpful. I can tell that God has given you the heart of a servant. See how I'm working God into those blessings and those compliments. Number three, this is something that Steve Edgley is trying to get people to do every single time he goes out to the park. A prayer, a simple 
prayer. Do not underestimate the impact that a prayer can make because not only does it cause things to move and shake in the unseen world, but and it, it, what happens is the Holy Spirit can come upon a person in that prayer. Where if you say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? They might be like, no thanks, I'm good. But if you say, hey, can I just pray a prayer of blessing over you? You'll be surprised how often people will say, okay, sure, yeah, I'm open to that. And as you pray that prayer of blessing, what I notice so many times is that God will speak through the prayer. And, you know, and there's, I know some people are critical of that and they say, okay, if you're giving that person a message, you're not really praying, right? You're, you're just giving them a message. But you know what? Sometimes God wants to speak through us in that, that, that atmosphere of prayer. And as we begin to pray, God begins to reveal stuff to us about the person we're praying for. And what I have often found out myself is if I approach a situation, and I'm not sure what to say this person, but if I begin with a prayer, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to flood my mind with words that I need to share with this person. Sometimes he might reveal something about that person to me, Sometimes it just might be the right word of encouragement that they needed to hear, but it began with a prayer. And also, the offer to pray for somebody alone plants a seed. What if we just went around just offering prayer wherever we went to the point where people begin to recognize us and they begin to depend on us to ask them if we could pray for them. Uh, maybe maybe they're, not, they're not willing to let you stand there and pray for them, but you say, hey, how can I be praying for you this week? And they're like, oh, Please pray for my mom, she's sick. Please, please pray for my husband, we're having problems in our marriage. And it opens up so many doors for ministry. So offer a prayer. And number four, an invitation. A simple invitation. You can say things like, hey, just come out and check out my church. The music is awesome. The presence of God is in the room. I'm convinced you'll be able to feel it if you come. The messages are powerful and inspiring. <laughs> come to church with me. Just a simple invitation can make all the difference in the world. You might have that person that's like, oh my goodness, would you stop inviting me to church? And you can say, hey, I'll make a deal with you. Come to church with me three Sundays in a row and I promise I'll never invite you again. Because I'm convinced that if you come three times in a row, you'll be hooked and you want to keep coming back. I dare you to come to church with me. A simple invitation can make all the difference in the world. We might be horrible at articulating our story in our own minds, but we can say, hey, come with me. Hey, come and see. See, this is a very important part of what the Samaritan woman did. Not only did she share her story, but in verse 29, she says what? She says, come and see come and see. She didn't have all the answers. She just met Jesus. And let she immediately, immediately went and told her story, and she gave an invitation. See, sharing your story doesn't have to be a perfectly constructed sermon. And we spend some time, and it's good. You should work on it. You should try to perfect it. You should try to develop it. You should try to become so familiar with it that you don't even have to think about it. Those are all good things. But you've got to understand, it doesn't have to come out perfect. It can be simple, as simple as, this is what God did for me. Come and see. Come and check them out for yourself. Come as I come with my friends and I gather together for worship. I want you to come and experience that. You may have a difficult time articulating your story, but anybody can say, come and see. Amen? How many of you are here today, not necessarily because you got invited to this church, but at one point in time, you got invited to church? Raise your hand. One point in time, somebody invited you to church. 
Okay, now everybody look around, look around. That's over half the room received an invitation to come to church. Now, how many of you have invited somebody to church in the past month? Okay, that's actually not too bad. I expected to be, see less hands. Pray for me, lack of faith, right? All right. How many of you um, have invited someone to church in the last two weeks? Awesome. How many of you invited somebody to church this week? Okay, so a little bit less, but some of you were inviting. That's awesome. Now think, if every single person in here this morning was inviting people to church on a regular basis, even if we only had average worship, even if we only had an average speaker, if we, even if we only had an average children's ministry, I believe that we would see this church reaching more and more people from a simple invitation. Now listen, that doesn't get you off the hook for sharing your story, but it's something that we add to our story that can make all the difference in the world. Verse 29, she poses a question. She says, could he possibly be the Messiah? You know what I love about that? She didn't even have all the answers. And yet she went everywhere telling her story. There was still some question in her mind. Is he really the Messiah? I think she believed deep down and that's why she was so excited, but she wasn't 100% certain on it. And so she just posed the question. Could he be the Messiah? Number three, ask questions. Ask questions. When we think of telling our story, we think it's about us doing all the talking. But in reality, well-formulated questions can play a huge role in the effectiveness of telling our story and in making it easier to become a rhythm in our lives. Because sometimes we might not have the right words to say. We don't know what statement to make, but we might know a question to pique their interest. And so sometimes the best approach in a situation is a question. The question in this story intrigued them and it stirred up curiosity. And as a result, we read that they came streaming in to find out the answers to that question. They were compelled by her story, no doubt, but they were also pulled in by her question, could he be the Messiah? See, her experience didn't cause her to come in telling everyone exactly what they should do and acting like she had all the answers, but instead she told her story and compelled them to consider the implications of that story. So real quick, under questions, I want to give you a few questions that you can try to bring in the gospel to your conversations. Are you ready? Write these down. Number one, who or what do you turn to when life gets hard? Now, you got to understand what's the best context to ask these questions in, right? It might be difficult to just come up to a stranger and be like, hi, my name's Joe. Who or what do you turn to, you know? But you know what? I bet if you tried that on five people, you'd get at least one person that would answer the question. So to me, I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of the opposite. Some people are like, oh, man, you got to be careful. If you're too aggressive, you'll turn people off and blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, but I would rather err on the other side of talking too much about Jesus than err on the side of the person who's always second-guessing themselves. Was that the Holy Spirit that nudged me? Was that really him that was leading me, or is this not the right time? Looking around, who's watching? Um, Are they going to be comfortable in this? Making all these excuses for why I don't approach them. I'd rather err on the side of just say, I can't stop talking about what Jesus has done for me um, so that that person at least has the chance to hear the words of truth. So what or who or what do you turn to when life gets hard? Number two, 
How about this? Do you go to church? Why or why not? And it doesn't mean that you have to be ready to refute their reasons or say, well, that's a silly reason not to go to church. But to listen and say, I'm sorry that happened to you. That's, I'm so sad that you, that's your experience with church because I have a completely different experience. Would you like to hear about it? Number three, how have your life experiences affected the way you view God? That's a great question because I feel like everyone has an answer to that, even atheists, because they will point to their life experiences as reasons that they don't believe there is a God. And oftentimes what I've found when speaking with atheists is they do actually believe in God because they're angry at him and you can't be angry at somebody who doesn't exist. And so great question. Number four, are you as close to God as you want to be right now? What do you think is getting in the way? I like that question because you can ask that to a believer. Have you ever noticed that one of the greatest roadblocks when you're trying to share your faith is when you ask someone, a Christian, and they tell you yes, and you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, I know you. Like, I see, I see your life. Like, you don't have a relationship with God. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. But you can't say that, right? Because then you're just like, oh, you judgmental Christian, right? And so you can ask the question, are you as close to God as you want to be right now? If not, what's getting in the way? So those are some questions, some practical questions you can use. And so here's what happens. So he's having this conversation with a Samaritan woman, and, and Jeff did a wonderful job just talking about the, the implications of that. And, you know, this, the disciples arrived, and they're shocked. They're like, what is he doing talking to the Samaritan woman? But they'd not, they did not dare ask him, right? And so the meanwhiles, the meanwhiles, meanwhile, the disciples are talking to him, and they're saying, Jesus, we've got food Please eat something. Because let's back up. We remember that when he arrived at the well, it says that he was tired and thirsty. So even Jesus became tired and thirsty, right? And let me just point out that it was in the midst of that fatigue and that thirstiness that he was used in a powerful way to point this woman toward himself, right? And so God will use us in the same circumstances and situations if we're open to it. And so Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty, but he saw this as a teaching moment for his disciples, and that was more important to him in that moment than food. I'm famous for, in our life groups, being the first guy that goes through the line to get the food. And it's like, it's like a joke now, especially with our Thursday seniors group. They're like, we don't start until Pastor Joe starts. Because I tried to like be the selfless leader, but then no one goes. So I'm just like, hey, I'm more than happy to lead by example, right? And be the first to get a plate, right? So I feel like if that was me and the disciples arrived and they're like, Joe, have something to eat. I'm like, yes, I'm starving. But Jesus had such a deep commitment to what God had called him to do that he said, this is a teaching moment. And what he said to his disciples was, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. I have food you know nothing about. And he says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. And, and he says, and completing his work, finishing his work. See, obedience to God comes with major benefits. It's, it's, a, it's a nourishment unto our souls. And let me tell you that sometimes when you're feeling empty and, 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 and you feel far away from God, what's missing is you're not doing the will of God. It's that simple. 
You, you might even be reading your Bible on a regular basis, which I doubt because that has a tendency to motivate us and push us towards obedience, right? Uh, but you might even have some, some, some form or some semblance of a prayer life. But if you're not actively living out the word of God in faith and obedience, there's going to be something that's missing. It's going to be that, that purpose connection first that gets severed, and then it's going to be that God connection that begins to become um, ineffective. And so, like Jesus said, remain connected to me and you'll be fruitful. But he says, outside of me, you can do nothing. And so what happens is we begin to suffer when we're not connected to God through obedience to his word. Jesus said, I have come that you might have a rich and satisfying life. That's New Living Translation. The NIV says that you might have life to the full. Another translation says life abundantly. But we know what Jesus came and, and preached. We know what Jesus came and taught. It was not Come to me and I'll give you abundant life because you'll have lots of riches and, good, and lots of toys and delicious foods to eat and you'll enjoy the finer things of life. We know that Jesus came and he said stuff like, if you want to be the greatest, you must become the servant of all. And so that rich and satisfying life and that nourishment comes from the very things that we are commanded to do. And in our flesh's desire to have what gratifies us, we actually deprive ourselves of the real nourishment that our soul needs. Isn't that crazy? That it's only in denying of self that we can truly be satisfied. And that's what Jesus is teaching them there in a very powerful way. They know how hungry he is. They know how long the journey was. And Jesus says, no, 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 wait. It's more important for you to understand that doing my will is the only thing that will truly satisfy you. And then he says in verse 35, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Number four is this. If you want to make sharing your story a rhythm in your life, you need to begin to recognize the opportunities that are right in front of you. See, the disciples didn't recognize that there was a harvest in Samaria right in front of them because their mindset was that they were just passing through. But Jesus' mindset was that he was passing through with the intention of leaving something behind. There was a reason he stayed behind and sent the, sent the disciples on ahead of him. Church, we suffer from a I'm just passing through mentality. We've sung it in the old song, and what's happened is, although that's true, right, the Bible says that we are aliens and strangers of this world, right? This is, this is my temporary home. I'm just passing through. But what happens is we have taken that theology way too far to mean what I do here doesn't matter because I don't live here. And although it's great to be like, I don't need to stress about the troubles of this life because I'm just passing through, what we find is I don't need to really care about all these people that aren't going with me because I'll be gone and they'll be left behind. And you might say to yourself, I would never say that. I don't feel that way. But actions speak louder than words. And so when we remain silent, we show that we have the I'm just passing through careless mentality. 
But you gotta understand that you might be passing through, but you've been called to bring as many people with you as possible. Listen, God has no desire to send anybody to hell, but we have been called to the Great Commission because our role is to make sure that heaven is full. At the end of it all, when the trumpet sounds and we're taken up in the air, we wanna take as many people with us. There's not gonna be a lack of space in heaven. He says, I go before you and I prepare a place for you. And if it weren't true, I would not say so we've been called to take people with us in verse 30 amen amen doris and verse 30 we see this picture it says that the lost or the samaritans came streaming in and there's something i've always found interesting about this passage here is it possible that the timing of this because it says the people came streaming in. Then he makes this statement, wake up, look up, the harvest is plentiful. plentiful. So I'm picturing Samaritans pouring in as he says that. Where if they didn't even see the significance of that. All these Samaritans are coming. Well, that's crazy. I mean, we haven't been, we, we're not here for the Samaritans. We're just passing through. We're going to Galilee. And it's there that we're going to speak to the Jews. And all these people are pouring in. And Jesus says, wake up. The harvest is right in front of you. And if I had not been here with you, you would have just kept on walking and you would have missed this great harvest because you just would have assumed these are Samaritans. They hate Jews. They hate us and we hate them. They want nothing to do with us. Why would I share the gospel with this group of people? Because they openly reject it. They openly reject us as people. So we know they're going to openly reject our message. In church, we do that with people groups today. We look at the LGBTQ community and we say, why would we share Jesus with them? They hate Christians. They think all Christians are bigots. They think all Christians hate them. So why would I tell tell them that Jesus loves them? They're not going to receive it from me. Whatever the group is, we have these people and we don't open our mouth because we assume they're not going to receive it. But church, I want to say to you what Jesus said to the disciples. Wake up! Wake up! The harvest is plentiful. It is everywhere. And what breaks my heart is Jesus makes that statement. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, but we continue to walk around and live as if the harvest is few and the workers are plentiful. And we say, someone else will share the gospel to that person. That's somebody else's job. That's my pastor's job. That's the evangelist's job. That's the elders of the church job. But no, we must cast a wide net because because there is a harvest that is ready to be reaped right now, but it's gonna take you and you and you and you, every single one of us. And church, if we will rise up and we will step into the call of God, we will see a great harvest. I believe it is so. If you believe it, will you shout amen? Amen. Do you think for a moment that the disciples imagined a great harvest in Samaria? Not for a second. Church, I see this happening right here if we will just wake up and look around and open our mouths. As I said before, even when you're tired and thirsty, see, those are the moments where everything seems like an interruption when in fact it's an opportunity. But because we don't have the right mindset, 
We, we walk through our day that way. I'm just passing through. I'm just here to go to the grocery store, get what I need, and get out. I'm just passing through. And we're walking by people that are dying and going to hell on every single aisle. I'm just here to go to the grocery store. I'm just here to get my milk. I just need one quick ingredient so I can finish what I was cooking. I forgot to get salt. I got to go get salt. I'm in and out. I'm in and out. And everywhere we go, our eyes are down to the ground, and we're missing a world that is floating on past us into eternity without Jesus. And something's got to change. Something's got to snap. We've got to wake up. Our eyes need to open and we need to see the harvest that is right in front of us, church. He says in verse 36, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. My final point for you today, something that will help you make sharing your story of the rhythm is to understand that there's joy in sharing your story. Take joy in sharing your story. Did you know that sharing Jesus with people is really fun? Steve, is it fun? Is there anything like the Spirit of God flowing through you as you minister to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, whether it's through a prayer, sharing your story, a word of encouragement, uh, doing an act of kindness, serving them with the love of Christ? There is nothing like it. And I'm telling you right now, if you've ever had the opportunity to lead someone in a prayer, inviting Jesus into their life, there's no greater high that you can chase in this world. It's nothing that just fades away. It's something that will stick with you for the rest of your life. It's an experience you can fall back on when you're struggling in, in, in the dry seasons and it motivates you and propels you forward to continue to remain obedient to God even when he feels a little bit far away. Those experiences are irreplaceable. There's nothing like sharing Jesus with a lost and dying world. It doesn't always go smooth. It's not always received. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes you make a fool of yourself. Well, praise God, you did it all for the glory of God and there was still a seed planted. And God, if God can use a donkey, he can use a fool like you and me. And if I stumble over my words or I say something that comes out wrong and awkward, guess what? God is in that situation and he is moving, he is working in that person's life. You don't know whether you're gonna be the seed planter or the heart harvester, but both are equally important. They need to be done. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Amen. Yes. Let's give glory to God. That's a word from God. That's a word from God right there. And if you guys know Steve, you know that that comes from a genuine place in his heart. He's not looking for attention. He's not saying, look at me. That's, that's Steve Edgley. He lives and breathes this. He goes out um, almost every Saturday or almost every Saturday? Every, every day? See, this man is addicted. <laughs> He's addicted to seeing people come to Christ. And, and, and what's tragic is that we see this in churches all over the place where you've got uh, 1% of the people doing 98% of the evangelism. You know, statistics are made up on the spot, but you get the point, right? And imagine if we would ha take just a fraction of that commitment in our own lives and just say, while I'm out at the grocery store, I'm going to look for someone to encourage 
While I'm out at the grocery store, I'm going to look for someone I can pray for. When I see someone on the side of the road with a flat tire, I want to help them change their tire. I can make time for them because this is not an interruption. This is a divine appointment. Church, I'm just telling you, there's so much potential here bubbling up in this little place. You guys are a small church, but you already have a big heart. It's why people, anyone who comes back, I said it earlier, they talk about how love they felt. And it's not just the tables, it's you. The tables just help us look at each other. But people say, I was treated so well here. I was loved here. It didn't just feel friendly. It felt like a family. But church, that's just scratching the surface. God has so much more that he wants to do. If you step out in boldness, open your mouth and simply share what you've been given. Don't try to be anyone else. Don't try to sound like anybody else. Be you. Share what Christ has freely given you. There's a joy that can only be found in doing the will of the Father. Today's the day of the harvest. Verse 39, it says that many Samaritans believed because the woman had said. Jesus could have went out into her village on his own. Who better to talk about the Messiah than the Messiah? But instead, he sent a woman with no qualifications, a bad reputation, no credibility, and she was a woman in a culture that didn't really esteem them. And as a result, the crowds came pouring in. There's somebody in here today that you've not yet engaged your faith to this level and you've put limitations on yourself. I'm not articulate. I'm shy. I'm a woman. Maybe that sounds, seems like a hindrance to you, even though it shouldn't. I'm just a teenager. But if you will take on the spirit of the Samaritan woman and just freely share what you've been freely given, you'll begin to see people pouring into this church and pouring into the kingdom of God. She didn't let any of those things stop her. We need to stop coming up with reasons to stay silent because God's not interested in your qualifications or your giftings. The only qualification is do you have a life that was changed by Jesus? If so, you're qualified for the job. Congratulations, you're hired. So Jesus, he's, she runs off, right? What I love is that he sits by the well and he waits patiently for her to return. I think that was some of her urgency. She's probably thinking to herself, if I don't hurry, what if he's not there when I get back? And I want to tell you, church, that today he continues to wait patiently for you to get to work. But there's coming a time that he's going to return. See, he talks about seasons of harvest. But the thing about seasons is they have a beginning and they have an end. And when people gather the harvest, they do so with urgency because if they wait too long, the harvest will be missed. And Jesus said in John 14, 3, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. We need to take him at his word and realize that there's a clock on this thing, that there's gonna come a day 
where it's too late to step into those opportunities that he's given us. Finally, we learn that he stayed two more days, long enough, it says, for many more to hear his message and believe. And what I love about that is the impact that the Samaritan woman made extended beyond her message and her story. But because she shared and because she invited, ministry continued to happen for two more days. You gotta understand that this isn't a a hero model, that God's not calling all of you up to be the next Billy Graham. But what you think is just a simple invitation may be something that God wants to take and turn around into days and days upon days of multiplying of that blessing and that fruitfulness and that harvest. I wanna invite you to stand with me as we close this morning. And I wanna leave you with one final thought. And in fact, if you are taking notes, write this down. You have been uniquely equipped with a story that no one else has for a harvest that no one else can reap. I'm gonna say it again because I don't think I gave that to Suzette. You have been uniquely equipped. Somebody say uniquely equipped with a story. Yeah, go ahead. Repeat everything so you remember it. That no one else has for a harvest that no one else can reap. Let's say it again. You have been uniquely equipped Actually, let's start over and let's say I. I have been uniquely equipped with a story that no one else has for a harvest that no one else can reap. Amen. Father, I thank you for this church and I thank you, God, that they are sensing your call. That not only are you calling them, but they're also sensing that you're equipping them. And right now they're realizing how equipped they already were with a simple story. And now I pray, Father, for your Holy Ghost to come upon them and that you would fill them with power to be your witnesses, with boldness to not be ashamed, and that they would begin to look up and see that the harvest is ripe all around them, ready to be reaped, and they would be prepared for those opportunities, whether it's through um, casting a wide net, lending a hand, giving a blessing, praying, or giving a simple invitation, Father God. I pray that you would use them in a mighty way, Father God, that they would share the gospel with a sense of urgency, that they would cast a wide net, Lord, that they would ask questions and you'd give them the right questions to uh, bring the conversation and the topic up, Father God, that they would recognize the opportunities right before them and they would experience the joy in being your witness, Father God. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, I commission them. You've already commissioned them, but God, I come into agreement with that commission that you have prepared them to go into all the world, everywhere they go, to preach the gospel and make disciples of everyone, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I pray, God, that they would leave here with boldness and with a passion and desire to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I wanna do just before you guys leave today. I'd like to invite you as as an act of obedience to say, God, I accept your commission. I want to invite you to come forward and just, we're going to sing this song one more time, my testimony. And I just want to invite you to come to the front and let's sing this song together, okay?
things are still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead, if you're not done. good things are still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead, if you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I to hearing the stories and the testimonies of how God used you to bring a blessing, to share your story, to cast a wide net. And I pray that you'll put those practical things into practice this week. And this is going to be an incredible week. I want to say one more time, happy Father's Day to our men today. Don't forget to get your gift on your way out today. And we look forward to seeing you guys again next time. Enjoy your time uh, with your family. And God bless you. We love you. Peace. Peace, Becky.